Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is a deadly serious one for a change. Uh, I mean, uh, we we very often uh, deal with extremely serious, deadly serious topics, and this is one of those. Today is about uh, elections. Uh, Elections are conducted in this country, and we couldn't be talking to two better guys. You all know Mark Elias. Mark Elias was my election lawyer. I've known Mark for years and years and years. He, of course, did my recount way back in 2009. The first time I met Mark was for a training. when When you're a candidate for the Senate, uh, Democratic candidate, you you go and get some uh, training about election law and stuff. And Mark conducted this, and he's really funny. And I made the mistake at the end end of it, saying to him, "You're really funny." And oh my God, he just kept reminding me of that, and has reminded me of that over the years. And I thought I remembered it as saying, "You're funny." <laughs> but he he remembered it as you're very funny and he is he's very funny actually and uh so when we do these uh when we do these shows when we do these podcasts with mark i always uh, enjoy laughing with him and because he's he, he's funny and um this one wasn't funny <laughs> <laughs> we uh and and also with him is Ari Berman he writes uh for Mother Jones and writes about election law and and is uh as knowledgeable about this as anybody in the country so these are the two two best guys we recorded this on uh, this past Wednesday when you had the vote in the Senate on uh the John Lewis Act and on the Freedom to Vote Act and we recorded this before the vote, during the debate, and uh, we knew where it was going. And hence the um, the down tone of this. Uh, it's really important that you listen to this. I, I really don't think we've done a more important one for a long time, and also one as substantive as this, because they are not just suppressing votes, uh, which We'll talk about how they do that and the many ways they're doing that. But they are uh, populating the election administrative apparatus, uh, starting at the very, very local level and all the way to the state level. As, as Mark says in this, January 6th was not the beginning. January 6th was the middle. And the end that they're going toward is kind of the end of democracy in this country. It's basically they're going to suppress votes, and what they can't suppress, they will have partisans, including people literally who are at the Capitol being election (laughs) officials who are at the Capitol on January 6th, um, running for Secretary of State in in, uh, states like Arizona. It's really frightening. We start, actually, with, with kind of a laugh, and the laugh came from uh, Joe Manchin had said earlier in the week that, oh, don't worry about any of this. We don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to pass these uh, election reform laws because uh, Mark Elias is going to take care of it. Mark Elias is going to be uh, in court uh, in all these different states. And when I heard... Joe say that, Joe Manchin say that, I went like, uh, yeah, uh, you can win some of those, and then they can be re- reversed in the Supreme, 6-3 Supreme Court, which is already doing its mischief, 
So we start with a reference to that, which is Joe Manchin saying, like, I don't have to vote for these. We got Mark Elias. And, of course, what we really need are, uh, is election law. And uh, so my, my point here is, is that I start on a little bit of a light note. And uh, by the end of it, I'm kind of embarrassed that I even did that. <laughs> and I... Uh, it it just this is very 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 friggin serious because our our democracy is really in jeopardy it really is and i i just want you all to listen to this and i want my listeners to think about okay if steve bannon is organizing this at the at the local level we've got a counter in them and and during the last election i i really encourage people to be uh, poll workers, because what Republicans try to do is have as few polls open, and you need poll workers to have have uh, polls open, and so I encourage that, and we need to do that again, but we need also to occupy some of these election administrative roles, and that means running in your your uh, local elections to become those officers. So, you know, if you want. Trump and you want the end of our democracy, we can do that very easily by doing nothing. So this is a serious one. And, and I just, I think other people are feeling it. It feels like, I don't know, 1933, 34 Germany. And I'm just like, I don't know, in a tavern. And I look over the other table and there's guys in black jack boots and Nazi uniforms, and I'm going like, hmm, this looks bad. I wonder, I wonder how bad it can get. I wonder how bad it can get. Well, at least I'm not Jewish. Oh, wait. Wait, I am. Okay, well, we got a serious one. I mean, really serious. This is a serious one. For a change. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. We do it. <laughs> you know, I've had better days. Well, I mean, we don't need to save democracy because we have you. That's what Joe Manchin said, so... <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I, yeah. Well, let me, let me, Ari just mentioned how Joe Manchin indicated uh, yesterday or a couple days ago that he's not going to vote to modify the filibuster so that we can pass the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act or the Freedom to Vote Act. But he's, but Manchin said, we're okay because Mark Elias. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is is going to be fighting these in court, and we're, it's going to be fine. And Mark, I think I believe we've talked about this. Uh, you don't agree with Mansion. It's not going to be fine. Um, look, I, I have been very very clear about this in my public commentary, my writing, and also in my opportunities to talk to Democratic um, senators. These laws matter. Right, the rules by which we conduct elections have consequences. It's not just about motivating your base or having an issue to run on. The rules of elections affect the outcome of elections. And what we are seeing is a systematic 
attack on the election processes by Republican legislatures, that will lead to a real world consequence, which will be voters who are eligible to vote won't be able to. And voters who are able to vote, some number of them won't have their ballots counted. Is this just an accidental outcome of what they want to do, or is it deliberate? It's entirely deliberate. <laughs> oh, okay. It's entirely deliberate. You know, if the Republican legislature of North Carolina in 2013 sat down to pass a law by targeting African-Americans with, in the words of the Fourth Circuit, near surgical precision, why on earth would you not believe that in 2021, and 2022, after Donald Trump and the big lie that the modern Republican Party isn't using even more sophisticated techniques to pass laws that target black, brown, and young voters because they are minority and young, and also because they vote Democratic. Let me throw uh, this up for you. I've heard some uh, Republicans take great umbrage at Jim Crow 2.0, and they're going like, no, that's terrible. I mean, Jim Crow was the, they had literacy tests and they had, uh, poll taxes. This isn't, this is nothing like that. So, um, when, when someone says that to me, what, what should I do? It's not a literal thing. It's called 2.0 for a reason, right? So it, it's obviously evolved. And I think what you have to look is the scope of the attack on voting rights. First, there was this unprecedented turnout in 2020. And then there was an attempt to try to throw out millions of predominantly black and brown votes. Then there was an insurrection. Then there was this insurrection through other means to try to affect the goals of the insurrection through other tactics to use voter suppression and election subversion to try to succeed in 2022 and 2024, where they didn't succeed in 2020. And that has a lot of historical similarities to what happened at the end of Reconstruction, which is that new voters, black voters were enfranchised. They took power. That really meant something that there was multiracial integrated government for the first time in the South that was followed by a vicious white backlash, first through extra legal means, violence and fraud. And then where the end of Reconstruction really happened was when those illegal means became legal, when things like poll taxes and literacy tests were put in place through the quote unquote proper channels, through the state legislatures, through those kind of things. And then the federal government didn't do anything. Like when Mississippi uh, put poll taxes and like in 1890, right? they hold Is a that- constitutional convention and they say, we came here to disenfranchise the Negro, nothing else will do. So they're very clear about their aims, but they're saying we're doing well, this but legally. They didn't say that in the Constitution. Actually, they have an addendum to the Constitution saying this doesn't isn't prejudice against any race. They wrote it. The, it, was, it was rhetorically <laughs> very much not race blind, but they wrote it in a race blind fashion. And so essentially, when you say Jim Crow 2.0, you're talking about the same kind of thing, which there was these illegal attempts to try to overturn the election. Those failed. So now they're trying to do legally through the state legislative channels what they weren't able to do illegally. And states like Georgia and Texas, et cetera, et cetera, are doing a version of what Mississippi did in 1890. Not the same thing, but a version both in terms of the actual laws, but I think more just in terms of the historical sweep as well. And and you can't like say how many jelly beans are in this jar. No, you do things like in Texas right now where, and Mark knows about this, they've written their voter ID law for mail ballots in such a way that half of mail ballot applications are being rejected in large urban counties in Texas because if you put down your driver's license or a social security number on your mail ballot form, but you register to vote with a different number, your mail ballot is going to be rejected. Crazy bureaucratic schemes like this that nobody even knows about are now leading to huge numbers of application forms being rejected. That's just the start of the kind of disenfranchisement that we're seeing. Let me just get the the exact detail of this. Are people like putting down their driver's license, but they registered with their social security number or did their driver's license Exactly. Change? Like something as basic like that, like people put down a number on their form. If some some people are not putting down a number because they, they don't know the rules. And some people are using old forms that don't even have a number to put down. But in any case, on the newest forms, yeah, they're putting down your driver's license number, for example, if you have one. But people have no idea what number they gave when they registered to vote or what number is on file. I see. And if okay, there's, of course. If there's I a don't. mismatch, <laughs> they're rejecting those forms. So in Harris County, they're having a 700% increase 
in the number of mail ballot applications rejected. This is just for a primary in March. Mark, in, in Georgia in 2018, this is for both of you, actually, Kemp was the Secretary of State. And they did this thing where they threw out ballots because the spelling and something didn't match. Is that right? Yeah. So this is the thing that I think what Ari is saying, you have to understand the context of. In some ways, it would still be bad for democracy. Okay. It would still be bad for democracy if you were throwing out a third of all absentee ballot applications or a third of all absentee ballots. But if it was equally distributed among the population, then you might say, okay, well, it's really bad election administration, but it doesn't have any consequential outcomes. But what's missing from the story that we need to never lose sight of is that these are not evenly distributed throughout the population. We know that the people who are being hardest hit by this are black voters, brown voters, and young voters. And we also know that it's not by accident. Like it's not just by chance those are the populations being hit. <laughs> so when you target these uh, these laws about how forms are completed or what information is included, you over and over again see a predictable outcome, which is that the people who are most negatively impacted are the exact communities that Republicans don't want to participate. I, I want to go back to this Georgia Kemp example. Basically, they kicked you out if the way your name was spelled or something. Didn't it wasn't match. the mismatch. There the wasn't a match. matching. So basically, they were looking at the signature on file with the signature uh, on the absentee ballot application. And what you find is that certain kinds of names get flagged more often in signature match verification. Number one, women are actually more often to be disenfranchised than men because they may have signed their name as their maiden name when they registered. And they use a mm -hmm. different signature for their married name. So the names literally won't match. The second is we just know from, <laughs> we just know from human nature that if Al Franken signs his name, Al Franken, the person reviewing a large volume of these signatures is just going to cruise over it. Whereas when they get to a name that is less anglicized, they are more likely to pause because they don't recognize the name. And that additional moment, that that momentary pause means that signature is going to be subject to greater scrutiny, which is why we see greater rejection rates for non-anglicized names. But isn't it also that two things had to match like their registration and something yeah, the signature on the signature on the registration form with the signature on no file. no no but i think i think the spelling of the name had to match on some form uh, and another form am i wrong about that ari do you know what i'm talking about or am i just this is <laughs> i we i think both mark and i have been so focused on the current voter suppression law in georgia okay let's talk that about we've, that we've let's lost not... track of okay. the last voter suppression law in georgia so i can't remember <laughs> i think it was true. i think al is right though that i think your your voter information had to match oh, this, on your registration yeah, application. This is the, so what was yeah, happening this is the exact is, match. Exact this was match, the exact yeah. match. And, and that's where yeah, the, the names right. were coming in. And basically all of the people that were flagged under this exact match, it was like 50,000 people or more were put on suspended voter file that's right, that's in 2018. Right, that's right. And nearly all of them were people of color uh, because they had different kinds of last names and things like that, that whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, they were being targeted. And remember, of course, this was done by Brian Kemp, who now is being primaried <laughs> by, by Donald Trump <laughs> because he wasn't enough of a vote suppressor. He only won one election through voter suppression, not two. Um, so well, he actually certified, yeah, yeah, right? He, he, or did he, he certify? He, he stole his election, but he certified the next one. So uh, therefore, he, he's now being primaried. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, th this uh, this batch, the 2020, uh, 2021 batch, I guess, of laws that are passed that are designed to uh, reduce the number of uh, bl like black, poor people of color. Like, the, the, the one in Arizona that got me was the precinct one, if you vote in the wrong precinct. And the reason I was really struck with this is this came up in the Supreme Court and Coney Barrett asked uh, this guy Cardin, is that Carvin. his name? Yeah, Carvin, Carvin. Carvin. Carvin with a V. Yeah, Carvin. And asked him, uh, uh, why is this, why does the Republican Party of 
Arizona have an interest in this, a legal interest? And he goes, because it helps us win. <laughs> <laughs> Remember? He did. What's the interest of the Arizona RNC here in keeping, say, the out-of-precinct uh, um, voter dis- ballot disqualification rules on the books? Because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. Politics is a zero-sum game. That's a new right in the Constitution, Al, if, if it, it, the, the right for Republicans to win elections. He didn't say it was because this is fraud. It's not fraud. There's no fraud. It just helps us, Republicans. And guess what? The Supreme Court goes, okay, 6-3. Ah, okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, look, that is in some ways what we are experiencing is we all kind of got used to the idea that redistricting maps will be drawn for partisan reasons. What we are seeing now is a an increase in the shamelessness by which Republicans will both draft and defend election laws as benefiting them for partisan reasons. And I think, Al, what's interesting is, so so of course, the, the Republicans in Arizona used voter fraud as their initial reason to throw out ballots cast in the wrong precinct. And also, they, they added some other restrictions as well, which Mark litigated. And then, of course, before the Supreme Court, they, they had presented no evidence of fraud. So then they actually said, no, this is really about us winning elections. And then when the Supreme Court upholds it, they, of course, don't mention the fact that Republicans admitted this was for winning elections. They go back to the voter fraud thing. And what Justice Alito, who wrote the opinion, says is that even the possibility of fraud, even if there is right. no evidence of it, is enough to justify a restriction on voting. <laughs> and th- that just <laughs> opens the door to them basically upholding any kind of restriction that basically the burden is now on minority voters or those facing discrimination to have to go through all of these hoops to prove that they're being discriminated against, whereas the people writing these laws don't have to prove anything. <laughs> they could use whatever justification they want, and basically the Supreme Court's going to give them a green light. And so that's what's really concerning me here about the, the failure to pass federal legislation protecting voting rights is Republicans feel like they have a green light otherwise. That I mean- Mark, I'm curious what you think about this because you're litigating so many of these cases. Obviously, they don't want to be sued, or maybe they do want to be sued. And obviously, they are they are worried about losing some of these cases in court. But I think they feel pretty confident that they're going to win at the Supreme Court ultimately compared to the, what how they might fare if, for example, Congress would pass federal legislation protecting voting rights. Yeah. So I think they don't want to be sued by and large. But I think that they know that Supreme Court or not Supreme Court, they're going to win a lot of these cases. I mean, it's not just the Supreme Court. If, if the only if the only challenge was was the Supreme Court, frankly, the Supreme Court hears about eighty cases a, a year. But they know that they have two advantages. Number one, they will win some of these cases. But number two, if they lose a case, it will take so long for them to lose that they'll probably get the benefit <laughs> of the rule for some period of time. And they can then come back and pass a new law. So one of the reasons why I, I told senators who said, but you know, you're litigating and you know you're winning, and why is this really necessary? Is the Republicans only need to crack the lock once, right? They need to find a method of voter suppression that is effective and not going to be struck down by the court. And then they are locked in. On our side, we have to constantly both litigate to try to strike it down or find, you know, organizing tactics that allow you to work around it. So we have to constantly be right and they only have to be right once. And when Mark says they're, they're going to find the most effective voter suppression strategy, what to me is so striking is that they really are doing an all of the above strategy. I mean, they're throwing everything yes. at the wall to see what sticks. So they're doing the traditional voter suppression. They're making it harder to vote part of it, which is not new, by the way. It's gotten worse. But as as you know, Al, as you know, Mark, it's not new. They've been doing it for years. What is new is all the election subversion they're putting on top of the voter suppression. So the suppression of votes on the front end and also on the back end. And then, of course, all the big lie people that are running 
to count how votes are going to be counted or not counted. So that's about the administration and the counting of votes. Exactly. The, the unprecedented takeover of election administration combined with the voter suppression is what's scariest to me because they're coming at it from every possible angle. If you strike down a law that makes it harder to register to voter, that imposes new ID requirements, or that cuts down on early voting. But they still have control over who's counting the votes, or how votes are counted, or who's certifying the elections. That's a huge backstop for them to, if they fail on the front end, try to rig the system on the back end. And that's exactly what Trump wanted in 2020. And they are trying to carry this out very systematically in places like Georgia and Arizona and other states across the country. Some of this is through legal changes. Some of this is through who's running for offices, who's being appointed to things like county election boards, who's sitting on county certification committees. But all of this stuff is really, really scary. And I don't think people are prepared for the moment when they decide not to certify the election. They decide to do the things that they refuse to do in 2020. The thing is, they can do this, right? I mean, they kind of can do it. Like, so, so here's the thing. And, and this is where Ari is a thousand percent right. And Al, this will bring back memories for you. Good or bad? Yes. I was, I was going to go to the recount for, at some point. For president and Senate, okay, the House, we can talk about, it's a slightly different thing. But for president and Senate, if you don't have a piece of paper signed by the governor of the state and countersigned by the secretary of state of the state, you don't have a ticket to office. And I also needed the Supreme Court. I needed the Supreme Court to rule before I got those, right? Correct. Because if the governor doesn't sign her certificate of election for Senate, or the secretary of state doesn't sign the certificate of election for Senate, or the same for what's referred to as the certificate of ascertainment, which was the term that's used for president, then you simply haven't won the election. You know, people forget Roland Burris, who was appointed by um, uh, Blagojevich, showed up at the Senate with a certificate of election signed by Blagojevich, but not by the Secretary of State. And the secretary, the secretary of the Senate sent, sent him back, said, I'm sorry, you don't have a completed certificate of election. You don't get a Senate seat. And that is That's also true. Roland Burris. <laughs> <laughs> he eventually got the signature. But but the yeah, point yeah. is that if you have a circumstance where, and I forget, Ari, you'll know who these people are, but the person running for secretary of state in Arizona or in Georgia, if they simply say, I'm not going to certify Democrats the winner, well, like you don't get that piece of paper. Yeah. And I mean, the guy running for secretary of state in Arizona, Mark Fincham, he's a literal insurrectionist. He was at the insurrection on January 6th, and now he's running to be Secretary of State. In Isn't Georgia, there one in Georgia also? Georgia, who's, Jody who's, Heiss, who yeah. led the effort to overturn <laughs> his own state's electors, is running for Secretary of State. And so there are some really, really crazy people who could be elected in 2022 as Secretaries of State. And as Mark says, if they don't certify the winners of the election, those people aren't going to be seated. And maybe the courts will step in and eventually seat them. But this could get very, very messy. And basically, all of the Republicans that did certify the elections, they're being challenged right now. Brad Raffensperger's being primaried right now. A lot of them are retiring. Uh, So there's a whole new crop of election deniers that are running for these really pivotal offices in 2022. And I don't think people are really- And it wasn't pleasant. Like your life was threatened, Raffensperger and uh, his family, et cetera. Can I just go over some of the other voter suppression stuff and then move to the administration stuff? Because I just like going over this stuff. Um, Of course, it's your (laughs) power. Drop boxes. Yeah, Drop boxes. So in Texas, is it true that uh, each county gets one drop box? No, each county gets none. There's no more drop boxes allowed in Texas. It was one. It was one during the 2020 election. So there was one drop box for 4.7 million people in Harris County. And then Republicans said, no, we're just going to get rid of them. Yeah, so that was too many. That was too many. That was too many. (laughs) 254 was too many for Texas. I think that was stupid on their part because that gives an advantage to rural voters if they're in a small county. Well, rural voters are big, so they maybe they have to drive for that one box. Here is what you here is. First of all, if you had asked me, (laughs) if you had asked me on January, you know, 1st or January 21st uh, of 2020, what we were going to see the Republicans be concerned about, 
a war on Dropboxes would not have been on my bingo card. <laughs> but man, they hate Dropboxes. I mean, they they have targeted Dropboxes everywhere. They're, they just targeted What do Dropboxes. they say about Dropboxes? That there's a lot of fraud in Dropboxes? Yeah, they say it, it, it they're insecure and can be fraudulent. What's What the reality of it is, is that they are a way for people who either don't trust the mail, find the mail insecure, or suffer irregular or delayed mail service. It is a way for people to return their ballots to the state to be counted. And especially if like in Arizona, you're living on a Navajo Nation reservation. Correct. It makes a lot of sense to have Correct. a place Correct. Or in Montana, um, if you're living on the reser- on a reservation. If you're living in an environment where you do not have reliable mail service, it is the difference between being able to vote and not being able to vote. But to the point I made earlier about how these have a deliberate partisan effect, if you look at the data, what you find is that late received ballots. So these are ballots that come in through the postal service, but are received too late to be counted. They are disproportionately young voters and minority voters. And there are lots of reasons why that that is. Some having to do with a lack of reliable mail service in those communities. So Dropbox is a way, if you are fearful that your ballots won't get delivered in time, it's a way to make sure you can return a a mail-in ballot and assure that it gets in on time. Yeah, and this is one area where we have pretty good data. Like in Georgia, they cut the number of drop boxes in Metro Atlanta from 111 to 23 under the voter suppression law that passed there. And the data is very clear that in Metro Atlanta counties, people used drop boxes at a much higher rate than in rural wider counties where people didn't vote by mail as much to begin with, but then they also didn't drop their ballots in drop boxes. And then what happened in the November 2021 mayoral election in Georgia was A, many fewer people used drop boxes because there were many fewer drop boxes. And number two, the rejection rates for mail ballots went up partly because people return their ballots too late, which a Dropbox would mitigate because you wouldn't worry about your mail being delayed and things like that. And so this is an area where I think they feel like A, more Democrats are going to vote by mail because that's what happened in 2020, even though that wasn't the case in other elections. And number two, that the people that are going to be disenfranchised as a result of it are going to be more Democratic-leaning voters. And I think so far, at least the data is bearing that out. That's why Ari's reporting on this has been so important, because there is an impulse on many, many segments of the media to try to start by saying things like, well, vote by mail doesn't benefit Democrats or Republicans. It's nonpartisan, or this is nonpartisan. And the truth is, Republicans are targeting these things because even though they should be nonpartisan, there are in fact partisan effects to who is using different types of voting or who is utilizing various techniques. And it has a disproportionate impact inevitably when Republicans pass these laws on minority voters and young voters. I I think the partisan data was certainly mixed on mail voting before 2020, largely because a lot of Republicans were proponents of mail voting in states like Florida. And their voters were older and more rural and needed mail ballots more. But I think the data was very clear that in 2020, Democrats used it more. And also the pandemic's not over, as we know. And so the people that take COVID seriously right now are going to be much more likely on the Democratic spectrum than the Republican spectrum. So if you're looking at who might vote by mail in the future, I think, number one, a lot of Democratic voters had a good experience with mail voting, but also they're going to be more concerned about in-person voting than Republicans might. Also, Trump was was vocally saying, don't vote by mail, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And if so you did, your ballot shouldn't count. <laughs> Even though he voted by mail and then all the Republicans, all the state level Republicans sent out mail about voting by mail, and then they had to scrub whatever Donald Trump said about it. Okay. The administration of elections and, and the counting, that's depressing. So uh, what can we do about that? There it is. That pause. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting I to mean, see what Mark thought. Look, there's no simple, I know. This is this is this is why I pause because um I have staked out a position on how we deal with post-election and certification issues, which um is that it's complicated. And there are people, a number of political pundits uh, and others, who would like this to be simple. 
So one proposal <laughs> is that we simply reform the Electoral Count Act and everything will be better. And my view Th- that's is that's the uh, that's the uh, that's the last thing, the thing Pence. Yes, was that's asked the thing that happens in Congress. Okay. And I right. have pointed out um, much to the chagrin of, frankly, some allies in this fight, uh, some non-allies in this fight, that if the Republicans are going to subvert the election, the most likely place they're going to do it is in the county clerk's offices, the recorder's offices, and in the state canvassing boards and the secretary of state's office. That by the time it gets to the floor of the house, a lot is already baked in the cake. And a lot of the subversion that we saw Donald Trump try to effectuate in 2020 would have already taken place, right? He had already called the Secretary of State of Georgia to find votes. So by the time you get to the counting of the ballots on the floor of the House or in the well of the Senate, a lot has already been done. And so it's important that we not simply focus on one aspect of this and think we have done something. What we really need to do is to target the root cause, which is how we certify elections, how we ensure fair counts. And that's doable. A lot of those things were in the Freedom to Vote Act, but it's more complicated than just saying, let's just feel good because we can have a bipartisan solution, maybe, to this one small piece of the problem. Yeah, like if you fix the Electoral Count Act, it wouldn't do anything about this aversion that you're seeing in Georgia, for example, where first the state board, the the legislature removed Raffensperger, the secretary of state that stood up to Trump from the state board of election. Then it gave the state board of the election power to take over up to four county boards of election that it says are underperforming. And so they've already begun an investigation in Fulton County, Atlanta, the most democratic county in the state, sure. potentially take over elections there. Then at the local level, all of these election boards have been reconstituted to basically give Republicans more control over them. And in some places in Georgia, they've ousted Democratic members of the election boards. They've replaced them with stop the steal type Republicans. And what's happening there is not just the fact that those boards might not count the votes, but there's also another provision in the Georgia law that allows unlimited challenges to voter eligibility from right-wing groups like True the Vote that did all these challenges during the runoffs in early 2021. And basically what could happen is there could be all of these right-wing challenges to voter eligibility before these local boards that are much more Republican and much more Trump-like than they were before. And there's a provision that says that these boards have to hear these challenges within 10 days of an election, or they could be sanctioned by the state board of elections. So this is all a real recipe for disaster here. And, And one thing that I'm really worried about is in 2020, there was this impressive mobilization of people becoming poll workers, volunteering as election workers. That was something that everyone thought they could do during the pandemic to help out. And a lot of people did that once and they said, okay, now we can go back to normal and we don't need to do this again. Or or they were going to do it again, but they were harassed by Trump supporters. They didn't want to do it again. So there's this void now. A lot of election officials are leaving and the insurrectionists are taking their place. Steve Bannon is imploring them to become poll workers, to become county election officials, to run for election judges. So All of these people that tried to steal the 2020 election could be in positions of authority for 2022 when it comes to how votes are counted. And and if there are Democrats there as poll workers, we could always send poll watchers to intimidate them. Look, what R.A. said is exactly right. And it's the reason why I worry that there will be a push now to find a bipartisan solution to the electoral countout. The last thing we need to do is to give greater deference to the election results certified by people who are intentionally not certifying the election. I'm not talking about people who I may disagree with, people who who you know may call balls and strikes differently than I would call. I mean, the kinds of people that, that as Ari said, Steve Bannon is imploring every day to take over these local election uh, roles for bad motive. Okay, we're going to take a a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with Mark Elias and Ari Berman. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back with Mark Elias and Ari Berman. I do want to get to Giuliani (laughs) and Powell at all. And your take on their being subpoenaed this week to appear before the January 6th committee. You know, when I heard that, I thought, like, they'd go, great, now we can finally <laughs> show the proof that the election was stolen. They they must be so happy they got subpoenaed. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, 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 and Ari, I don't know if your reporting on this uh, shows anything. I do find it odd that there was like a insurrection command center at a Washington DC hotel at which all these people were operating out of. And nobody seemed to like be like, huh, why is there an insurrection center in our hotel? Yeah. I mean, like if the January 6th committee wants to know where to find people, I don't think it's going to be very difficult to, to locate them on where they were on January 6th. <laughs> um, but I, I think it, I think it is important to tie this all together, right? To, to tie what the January 6th committee is doing with the debate over voting rights now, because it's all connected and people are sort of thinking of this as separate, but there was an attempt to try to overturn an election by making all of these ridiculous false claims that inspired an insurrection. Then when that insurrection didn't succeed, they moved on to other tactics, to try to achieve the same kind of goals. And I think that's what's missing from the storyline is people are making the fight over voting rights to be a partisan fight. When I view it as an extension of the fight to overthrow American democracy, which is much more existential than just a partisan fight. It's about a fight to overthrow American democracy. And I fear that they failed in 2020, but they're succeeding in 2022. And, and that's what really worries me going forward. And, and I completely agree with you. I wrote something on Democracy Docket about how January 6th was not the beginning and it was not the end. It was the middle. You know, January 6th was not a singular day. It was the result of a effort by Donald Trump and his allies to overturn a free and fair election. The people who showed up on January 6th thought wrongly, but they thought that if they could stop the Senate and the House from certifying the election on that day, remember, part of what they were trying to do is to delay because they had this cockamamie theory that if it didn't happen on January 6th, the certification wouldn't wouldn't count and Donald Trump would stay president. So they thought they could affect it on that day. When that failed, they simply turned their attention to the next election, which is 2022 and 2024. So I completely agree that that it is wrong to disconnect what we saw on January 6th with what came before it which were the refusal to concede the election, the sowing of of distrust in election outcomes, the failure to concede, the filing of frivolous litigation, and what has come after, which are voter suppression laws and subversion laws that are aimed at achieving the goal in 2022 and 2024 that they weren't able to achieve in 2020. So assuming that uh, cinema and mansion don't change their minds, are we just fucked? Look, I don't think, I think that here, here's, here's what I'd say. I know you can't say yes. <laughs> Congress is, <laughs> it is the role of Congress to protect voting, right? For all of the discussions that Repub- that Republicans had citing the elections clause, they always leave out the part about Congress's authority to regulate and pass laws regarding the time, place, and manner, and its obligations under the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, the 19th Amendment, the 26th Amendment, right? Congress has a obligation to ensure free and fair elections in this country, at least for federal office. And if Congress fails to do that, that's a big deal. Like That's not a small deal. That's a big deal, and I don't want to minimize it. But it is ultimately also the job of the courts, the federal courts and the state courts, to protect the same rights. 
So do I wish that Congress had acted? Absolutely. Would it have been far preferable? Yes. Would it have been more effective? A a thousand percent. But we can't give up. We can't just say, well, geez, they didn't do it. So now let's give up our democracy. We have to continue to hope that the courts will step in. And we have to hope that eventually the psychotic mania that has taken over the Republican Party will break. I'm not optimistic, but that's the fight we have in front of us. What I worry about is that, of course, the courts are those, you know, six is the six to three Supreme Court. That's ultimately where it comes down. And I just, you know, it's a very partisan court. I mean, it's incredibly partisan court. I mean, unless you believe Coney Barrett, who went to the McConnell Center. (laughs) I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I do think, though, there are times where progressives say that, and it's kind of fatalistic. And like, my point is like, so what? So we shouldn't try? Like we should just say, okay, you know, then then we'll never we'll never have free and fair elections again. You know, to me, we have to use every tool we can, whether it is political, organizing, the the First Amendment free press, or the right to vote and the voter protection laws in court. We have to use every tool we can at this time when democracy is at stake to fight back. So that's kind of how I come at it. It's not that I'm an optimist. I just I, I'm not prepared to give up. And what I would add to Al is that I think there needs to be a much bigger focus on the states and the importance of not just fighting these things through the courts in the state, but also organizing and ultimately political wins in the states. Because one reason why Republicans are in such a strong position is they control so many key state offices. And so they're the ones that basically are able to set the agenda. And they did this under Obama, and they're doing it again under Biden, where they become the laboratories for eroding American democracy. Uh, And so I think that these state elections are going to be really, really critical in 2022 uh, and in 2024. And not just the high profile races, obviously the governor's races, those are going to be very important, but the lower level races, the, the state attorney general races, the secretary of state races, all of those kind of things are going to be really, really important to deciding how fair elections are, how votes are counted, what the rules are going to be. Some of these races are going to be very difficult. Uh, for example, it's going to be very hard to dislodge these gerrymandered legislatures unless these maps were struck down in court. But for statewide positions like Secretary of State, Attorney General, Governor's offices, these are going to be really, really critical. And if you can't get federal legislation uh, and winning through the courts is difficult, then you have to try to win politically. And of course, the whole point of voter suppression, election subversion is to make it harder to win politically. But nonetheless, I think that has to be a major focus and one I think that remains on the table. And so I, I hope that people don't get so discouraged. They think there's nothing I can do about it, but they start to think, where can I make the greatest amount of difference? And I think the place where they can make the greatest amount of difference is working on all of these critical state races and getting involved with local elections in these places. Yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. And I want to bring it back to something Ari, you said before about Steve Bannon. It's not just the secretary of state. It's not just the AG. What he is doing is much more localized than that. And in many places, these county positions are elected positions. These county positions are appointed positions. These town positions in many places are elected positions. And it's important that we have good, strong, pro-democracy candidates running in those races as well, and that those races are being supported. Because it really is a a highly dispersed system of elections. And we can't just look at the top of the top whether it's federal or even the statewides, and stop. We have to be looking all the way down. And that's where they've been beating us for a long time. But you're right. The, these these clerks are chosen at a local and county level, right? Yep, yep. And in a lot of places, what's happening is the insurrectionists are just running unopposed because so many people are just gave up. They're just disgusted with the system. They don't want to take the abuse. They don't want to run. And, and I get that, but that, that it, it, there's a huge void out there. There's a huge need for poll workers. There's a huge need for county clerks. There's a huge need for election judges. And if people who care about democracy don't fill these things, 
then Bannon and his acolytes are going to fill the void. And that's unfortunately what's happening right now. And the big lie is motivating Republicans in lots of different ways. It's motivating, obviously, the top of the Republican Party to radicalize democracy. But I think Mark's right. Where it's having the biggest impact is mobilizing the bottom of the Republican Party to radicalize against democracy. That it was always, voter suppression was always this very top-down thing where the, the leaders were doing it, but the, the rank and file didn't really care. Well, they've gotten the rank and file so wound up that they're now the ones leading a lot of these efforts too. And so there's this really toxic relationship between the head of the party, but also the base. And these are the ground troops for the insurrection right now. And if people don't fill these offices, they're going to be the ones who check you in for the polls or potentially reject your ID or decide that your vote's not counted. And and that's that's a scary proposition for future elections. Uh, Well, I guess now is the time for uh, everyone to think very seriously about getting involved in uh, local elections and as well as uh, state and and federal. But this is the time for my listeners to heed the call and and, uh, get get off their butts and make sure that we're competing to be part of the administration of of these elections and uh thank you for the wake-up call you guys um sounds like democracy is is at stake between now and november so uh thank you guys uh, i hope this motivates people and uh to get involved so thanks to both of you thanks so much al and, th- and thank you well i i hope you enjoyed uh listening that beautiful music is by leo kotke the great leo kotke I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.